popcorn pop up in rows. The grass is always green around the other side. Caterpillar to a butterfly. It's green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Ready or not, here it is. Another episode of Green and Growing. I'm your host, Ashley Frasca. Thanks for tuning in. It's going to be a beautiful Saturday morning. I think I always say that, unless it's just going to be an absolute deluge and washout. It's always a nice Saturday morning because that means you made it to the weekend. So congratulations. Here we are. No Georgia football this weekend, but I'm sure you have a lot of activities planned, a lot of things going on, and you got an early vote at some point. I think you have another week to do that. And I would love to take your calls today. No guest experts lined up, so that means more time for calls. 404-872-0750. I really appreciate Clint Waltz from the University of Georgia, who was on for a couple of hours with me last Saturday, answered some great lawn and turf grass questions for all of you. And just kind of to rehash in case you missed Clint later in the show, you know, the six o'clock hour may be a completely different audience once folks start getting up and getting on with their day later in the morning. Um, one of the things I asked him, there's so many garden blogs out right now and a publication in a major national newspaper about leaves on your lawn and whether or not to leave the leaves. Um, and there's great arguments on both sides. So uh, turf grass specialist, I had to ask Clint what he thinks. And he wants the turf grass to win out, of course. We want your lawn to do well if that's your intention and you're putting the money and the energy into it. So he says it's best to get the leaves off of the grass, mulch them in, blow them away, do what you need to do. Those blades, those green blades of grass really need the photosynthesis. And if they're covered in a layer of leaves, they're not going to be able to get that. And um, also, the leaves can stay moist, whether it's the dew or whether it's rain. And all that moisture in the layer between the leaves and the grass can bring on pathogens and disease and things like that. Now, the arguments from the other side, though, if you're not really as concerned with your lawn and you just have more of a natural habitat, um, the leaves make a great kind of insulation layer for overwintering insects and that are able to thrive underneath the leaves Uh, in the colder months so that's not a bad thing and birds and things like that are going to be looking for them and it's it's a great little habitat so either way that was one of the burning questions I wanted to ask um, Clint and we had some great calls on centipede I know many of you that keep up with your centipede lawn that's an expensive task and atrazine is one of the herbicides that is most effective in centipede that was the name of the herbicide that he gave they're very Particular centipede is very particular as to what herbicides you use because of the runners. That's how it spreads. So it has to tack new roots along the way. And also we had calls both ways, taking fescue out of Bermuda lawn, or maybe you don't want Bermuda in your fescue. You're going more for that cool season grass. So um, I'm not sure if this was a professional product, if you and I are able to find it at a big, at a big box store maybe, but Certainty was the name of a chemical that Clint recommended to take fescue out of Bermuda. So if your neighbor's fescue lawn is just kind of starting to spread into your Bermuda, that is something. And of course, I've stressed for the last three or four weeks at least, fescue prep right now. That cool season grass is really, really going to enjoy 
um, an overseeding of tall fescue. We still have a little bit of time where you can do that. A prime window, though, was up until about October 15th, but that doesn't mean you can't do it now. Aerate seed for tall fescue. Make sure you're getting the right coverage. Measure the square footage of your yard. And then 7 to 10 days after that starts to germinate, and you really see the new grass come up, you can certainly fertilize the fescue as well. And then you'll do another seeding application in March or April. And um, I'm not going to mow mine right now. I'm letting all the new growth just kind of come in and uh, letting it be. So you need to make sure you water, too. I'm really glad I asked Clint about that. If you're going to spend the money and the time, again, to overseed tall fescue, once you start the process of watering it in, if you're doing it around a time that we're not going to be getting any rain or anything like that, there is no pause button, right? So once that seed begins to germinate, if it lacks water and kind of, you know, gets squelched out, there's no pause button. It needs to continue the germination process. So consistent watering with a new lawn like that is so important. And I'm not sure what the forecast holds for the weekend, but you may want to think about that, you know, maybe doing it a few days before a good rain uh, soak it in the day you do it and then let it rain a few days later and that'll kind of get you off on the right foot. All right, calls 404-872-0750. Good morning, Frank. Calling in from Watkinsville. How can we help? Hey, good morning, Ashley. Uh, two or three weeks ago, you had mentioned Coach Dooley in his garden and I thought I'd bring up the fact that the Georgia Master Gardeners are had, having their annual conference next month on the 13th and the 14th, and it's going to be a virtual conference. Part of the conference, in addition to the regular speakers that we have, are going to be virtual tours of Coach Dooley's garden, oh. and we're also going to have tours of Dr. Michael Durs and Dr. Alan Armitage Gardens. And what we have done is hired a professional photographer to go out and talk with each of the Durr, uh, Armitage, and Dooley about their gardens and have, you know, drone photography. And each tour is going to last about an hour, at least an hour. So this would be a perfect opportunity for people to uh, get a tour of those three gardens. This is fantastic, Frank. So again, it's the uh, Georgia Master Gardener Association annual conference next month, November 13th and 14th. And have you had a chance to read uh, the book, Vince Dooley's Garden, where he writes all about the hydrangeas and, of course, getting to know and befriending um, Alan Armitage and Michael Durr? I have, and as a matter of fact, a couple of years ago, Dr. Uh, Durr helped the Watkinsville Garden Club with a hydrangea cell where we had about 300 hydrangeas that he helped us grow. But those, those are good books, definitely. Yes, and great connections. Well, Frank, give us the website for people that want to register. they got to do it before November 13th and 14th. Yes, the website is Georgia Master Gardeners with an S dot org. And the registration fee is $50 if you're a member of the Georgia Master Gardeners Association. And even if you're not a member of it, just anybody can sign up for $55. Well, this is great, Frank. I am really looking forward to this. And it's sponsored by the Athens Area Master Gardeners, which I guess does that, is that encompassing with the Watkinsville group as well? Yes, yes. Well, Frank, I am really glad you called, and it's good to hear from you. And thank you for the great info. You keep us posted on stuff like this, okay? Okay, will do. And I thank you, Ashley. All right. Have a good morning. All right. Bye-bye.
We so miss seeing each other in person, so a lot of things being done virtually now. And yeah, that is the uh, Georgia Master Gardener Annual Conference online, and you can register online very easy, GeorgiaMasterGardeners with an S dot org. And Nicole, someone very familiar with the Master Gardener program, what do you think about that? Ashley. Hey. It was um, in 2001 I took this course. I was working a full-time job, and you was expecting to read the book, uh, about 200 pages every night before you go to the next course, you know. And I told my boss, I said, I need some time off. I really want to take this course. He said, okay. So uh, it was a lot of fun because in person they have class. We all are probably 30 or 40 people. And if uh, in person, if you didn't understand, you just pair up with another person. And we tried to guide each other. Everybody had phone number from each other. And we just uh, keep in touch over the years. But Master Gardener changed my life. It did change my life. You know why? Because I am not buying stuff that comes from the north that's not going to last. I know what to buy, and it's just a good course. And then you come out with uh, this big book that you can go back many years after that if you don't remember. It, this book is about... Uh, only the book costs $80. Yeah, that's a good investment, though, because you refer back to it time and time again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was uh, people that come and talk about soil. They were uh, uh, specialized in soil. They come with this mason jar and tell you where the soil said, said all, because our clay in Georgia is... is uh, and um, they have all the... Uh, the extension people that uh, were manager at that time, they come and talk, you know, and they talk about chemical. And I'm telling you, it, it did change my life. Not many things in your life will change marriage and kids and things like this. But um, it wasn't all the uh, per, uh, because when we get older, we have more time. Life is a lot slower. And uh, we have time to garden. That's what we enjoy, you know. You know, uh, it forces you, classes like Master Gardener courses, it forces you to stop and slow down and enjoy nature and really get a greater appreciation and understanding of things. Whereas if it's just the hustle and the bustle of your, you know, daily grind, you don't really stop and notice those things. So even if, you know, you're not getting older, hopefully gardening and just enjoying the environment something that everybody can really learn to appreciate, right? And think about it, because it's passed on to many generations, okay? Life is not about you. It's what you leave behind. Hopefully, it's a good thing, not a bad thing. Because, like Mr. Reeve, I don't know if he took this course, but you see, like me, how many years after that you can guide other people, yeah, Not absolutely. to make the same mistake as we did, you know. Now, when you were talking about um, some of the speakers, and I know this was years ago, but some of the speakers would come in about soil and things, what were some of the takeaways that you learned from that, just one or two things, because we do have that clay soil that oftentimes people not from here may find that difficult to adapt to and garden in? Yeah, because people from the north, are, you know, uh, up north, our soil... There's a lot of rock because there's a lot of uh, 
the water go through. But this person had a big mason jar, okay? Then he put a layer of clay, a layer of sand, and a layer of uh, a gr- a brown soil, okay? And he shake it and let it stand for uh, maybe an hour, you know. Then you could see this clay ah, always mm. go in the bottom. Oh, wow. Yeah, so you know, you know, that... Uh, the soil is going to go back where it's supposed to be with all this rain and everything. So that's why it's so important to uh, add up to the soil and move it around and move it. If you have bed that's been there for a good 10 years, it's killing everything. What's, ki- what's killing everything? Uh, if you put, like, uh, tulips and things like this, you know, then they're going to come back. But if you put oh. long-time perennial, because the clay don't breathe. It's right. just a brick. Even the one, they don't want to go because they cannot move. Yeah, you know, I mean, you can clay. scrape the surface and loosen the surface up, but the roots need somewhere to go, so they yeah, need good yeah. soft soil, too. Well, Nicole, I'm really glad you, you threw your input in there. I think you were the one I wanted to talk to after taking Frank's call, um, because I know how much the Master Gardener you know, group has meant to you. So I love the idea of this virtual conference, keeping everybody safe again, November 13th and 14th. And you can sign up online. It sounds like somewhere I'm going to be on the 13th and the 14th next month for sure. All right, Ashley. All right. Well, enjoy your weekend. I'm so glad you called. Enjoy your day. All right. Talk to you soon, Nicole. 404-872-0750. You can jump in, take Nicole's place. We'll answer a lot of lawn and garden questions for you today, and we'll be right back on 95.5 WSB. It's Scott Slade. Did you know you can listen to Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca on Saturday mornings on your smart speaker? And me, too, weekday mornings. Just tell your smart speaker, play 95.5 WSB, and we're on. 95.5 WSB, Atlanta's news and talk. Here's Ashley. So I spoke to my dad yesterday who's working out in uh, Huntsville, Alabama, and they got some rain yesterday, so I figured, well, naturally, it's probably on its way here, and I think that is correct. Scattered thunder showers today, according to Channel 2 Action News meteorologist Brad, and it's mostly cloudy to partly cloudy, a few showers or thunder showers in Metro Atlanta, high of around 76 and low around 62, and tomorrow the chance of showers diminishes to 30%, but a mix of sun and clouds and an isolated shower possible. Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. So this first one is good news. I like this. Kudzu, poison ivy, any other weedy vines that you've got that you've just been pulling your hair out about uh, over the summer. They're more susceptible to chemical control this time of year. Be sure to follow the directions and protect other plants from any drift or spray. And if you can get in there and manually remove them, that's what I did like crazy with English ivy. Um, back in the spring. And yeah, it took a few days of back-breaking work, but manual removal is always best if you're just in over your head and don't have another option. Chemical control, this may be a good time to do it. But yeah, be very considerate of all the things around it. Number two, you can cure pumpkins and butternut and Hubbard squash at temperatures between the 70 and 80 degrees for two to three weeks immediately after harvesting. That, when you cure something like that, we talked about potatoes uh, last week, really helps the sugars and the flavor and the, the vegetables to be a little more ready. And then after curing them, you just store them in a pantry, a dry place, maybe up to 60 degrees. And number three, we're going to be talking a lot about this one and including with Walter Reeves coming up in just 10 minutes. Pansies, fall color, stuff that you love. 
rich, well-drained soil is what they need. Mound them a little bit when you plant them. And Walter's going to have a lot more great advice coming up in the Walter Wonders segment. I hope you'll stay tuned to Green and Growing on WSB. It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Sixty-four degrees on Peachtree Street, man. It's a lot warmer this morning than it was one week ago. I think uh, as I started the show last Saturday, it was like forty-five. So unseasonably warm, isn't it? If you're wondering um, what is going on with the weather, I can tell you, or better yet, I can tell you how to find out. Meteorologist Kirk Mellish has written his latest blog. It's the Autumn Frost and Freeze and Leaf Change Outlook. So many of you are wondering what is the average date of the first autumn frost and if you don't have a farmer's almanac this is going to be the best place to find it so check out uh, our meteorologist Kirk Mellish's blog on wsbradio.com and click weather and there you will see it or also you can uh, look me up on twitter I'm on twitter at Ashley Frasca WSB and I shared that and I am myself reading that blog right now as we speak but I'm going to take a minute step away from the blog because I have, a, I have a VIP person on the phone right now as he joins us this time every week. It's Walter Reeves. Walter's Wondering. Walter's Wondering. The definitive questions and answers from WSB's OG Garden Guru, Walter Reeves. So you heard the sounder. That's right. It's time for Walter Wonders here on WSB. Hey, good morning, Walter. Thanks for checking in today. Good morning, Ashley. So we're back. We always have interesting stuff to talk about, and I like starting the show off this way. Just education, information, knowledge right out the gate. This is a topic, Walter, that can be applicable to beginning gardeners, very experienced gardeners. Everyone's looking for that pop of color, right, going into the fall. There's not too many choices, it doesn't feel like. Sure, we've got snapdragons, coleus maybe on its last leg, of course, mums. But Uh what to plant for a colorful flower that's going to stay colorful all winter long, and I know you've got a favorite. Pansies, 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 pansies. What a bunch of color you can put in your garden right now. And beginning gardeners, you cannot mess this up, I promise. When you go to Pike Nursery and pick up a six-pack or however many pansies, that's right. And you can also look for violas, right? Kind of the same thing. so it's a small, small flower, but you get in different colors, different things to choose from, purples and whites and pinks and sort of purple red. Gosh, they're great plants. Yeah, and starting to see really some of those uh, landscape companies switch things out, you know, whether it's at uh-huh. the beginning of your neighborhood or apartment complex or outside of office parks, ripping out some of that summer stuff, including like elephant ears, things like that, and really putting in pansies. How do you get that look, Walter? I'm talking kind of mounded, they grow in Filling in, I mean, they're spaced properly yeah. when they're planted, but you have to allow for them to grow. How do you get that professional look? There are different varieties of pansies that have different spreads. You read the label, they'll tell you if you plant them six inches apart or 12 inches apart. It all depends on the spread that the pansy will, will grow into during the, during the winter. And so read the label, that's the first thing, to know how big it gets. And that's, how you, that's how you know how far apart to plant them. And those landscapers, what they do before they plant, I've seen dozens of landscapers plant pansies in the fall, 
they always dig the soil thoroughly. They want nice, loose, very, very fine soil. It's a pansy roots have no problem in going into it. The soil is cold in the wintertime. They don't want to have any kind of impediment for the roots to grow, so they always dig it up really, really, really well. And how deeply do we need to put them? We put the pans at the same level as they're growing, but I till my soil down, gosh, at least 12 inches just to make the bed really drain well. But the pans themselves, you plant at about the same height they're growing in the pot. And mix in all different colors. Like you said, maybe look up at the spreads, see what different spreads you've got. And one of the other things you can do, if you're going to till, actually I think you should put fertilizer in there at the same time you do the tilling because it really makes the whole soil profile for the pansy richer and makes it Rather than just putting fertilizer around each plant, mix fertilizer into the whole bed. Again, you can find pansy fertilizer pots. I love the uh, various extended-release fertilizers, they're called, little pellets. And the one that comes in the pink container is terrific. Osmocote, right? Osmocote, that's what yes, I'm looking for. I sprinkle Osmocote that Osmocote with a pink label. It's good stuff. Mix it into the whole bed, and the pansies are fed for the whole winter. And this is not something we, they'll last all winter. They look pretty cool up against the snow. Honestly, if you've ever had any in your yard after a snow, they'll last for months. But the bad news, not really perennial. So when's about the time we're going to yank them up? About the time you plant the summer annuals. Uh, It's going to be sometime in early April, mid-April, sometime there. Around the time you plant your summer uh, petunias and things like that. And what's the ideal sun? You would think they would want a lot of sun because when the weather's colder, they're still going to use that bright sunshine as energy, right? Yeah, sure will. They can stand a little bit of shade in the afternoon, no problem there. They can stand full sun as well. One of the things that's interesting to me, you said they, they bloom in the snow. And one thing that's really interesting to me is that pansies protect themselves in the wintertime from freezing by wrinkling up, by drying out their leaves. So you'll see a pansy on the cold winter day and in the morning it'll be very wrinkly, like almost dead like somebody just dried it out it has done that itself it dries out its own leaves and makes it less susceptible to freezing and so the leaf dries itself out and gives it enough water in the soil as usual it'll rehydrate and look very perky and happy looking by 10 o'clock 11 o'clock in the morning that is so cool i've never noticed that yeah And so we'll talk about, just as we did in the summertime with the summer annuals, and now we're talking about pansies, deadheading is so important because you're just removing a part of the plant that has expended all its energy, and you want to kind of give that chance for the energy to go back to the plant so it can make more blooms. So talk about how we deadhead a pansy. The temptation is to take one hand and pull the flower. Do that, and you'll eventually pull a whole plant out of the ground. Accidentally, of course, but you'll pull a whole plant out of the ground. You manage yourself, so always use two hands. That's what I learned. One hand to hold the vine, one hand to pull the uh, flower off of it, and discard the flowers, of course, afterwards. But it'll make the whole planting look a lot better if you deadhead two or three times during the wintertime just to get all the dead flowers. They look for the Icky, I guess, is the right word for it. They all drape around and don't look very good. Pulling the flowers off is a good thing to do to deadhead, as we say. Yeah, so go all the way to the base of the stem. And if you've got little pruners or maybe a sharp thumbnail, that's just one good way to yank right at the bottom of the stem. Remove that whole thing. Yeah, the petals will start to fall off. It starts to become a little more thin and brittle. So that will keep pansies blooming continuously through the winter for you. So, actually, one of the things that will tell us about how to care for pansies in the wintertime is to pay attention to what Kurt Miller said is going to happen. If Kurt said it's going to have a long 
fall, long, warm fall. Here's something you can do for pansies that I think will really help a lot of people. If you have a long fall, you have a lot of chance of caterpillars, even tiny little caterpillars from butterflies and moths in the last part of the summer. Hmm. They can lay their eggs on the pansies in the greenhouse where they're being held before they sell them to you or even in your own garden. So one of the things that I do when I know Kurt said it's going to be warm in the fall is I spray my pansies one time when I plant them with a bit of garden insecticide. And a garden insecticide will take care of any bugs or sow bugs or things that eat the pansy leaves. And that way the pansy leaves are healthy and full all winter long. And another great thing about pansies, to end on a happy note, so how to pick the right color, Walter. So I know there's so many different varieties. I mean, you've got burgundies and purples and whites, blue, yellows. Mickey Gasway, our friend, has a garden blog, and she wrote something really cool. I'm going to read from her garden blog to you. She said, I'm going to share something that I was told by a really good garden designer, and that was to stare at flowers in the greenhouse for a few seconds, and then when you close your eyes, what do you see? And she said, usually, scientifically, yellow. What a great idea. Yep. So she said, maybe that's why I always do yellow pansies in my garden <laughs> mixed with a lot of other colors. So that was neat. I, I guess I don't have a favorite color pansy, but yellow, you certainly can't go wrong with that. Sure, 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 sure. And Mickey's a great designer as well as a great gardener. So whatever she says, I believe. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Well, thank you for the tips and making everyone's life happy. Go get some pansies at Pike Nursery. Easy to plant. You don't even need that many. Just space them far apart. They'll fill in, and you'll be so happy through the winter months. And by April, you'll thank yourself for doing the work now. Yes. Well, Walter, have a good Saturday morning, and we'll talk to you the same time in a week. See you soon, Ash. Fall makes me so happy, and when we have these bright, beautiful, changing leaf colors, I'm even more happy, but then I get really sad when all of them start to die and fall off, and if we have some rain this weekend and wind, it's going to blow even more leaves off. So pansies, looking forward to something with the next little bit of color for your season. And speaking of all the leaves and the leaf change, here in just about 10 minutes, Seth Hawkins is going to join me from the Georgia Forestry Commission. I don't know if many of you have noticed, I've had Seth on every Saturday for the month of October, so we'll have him today and then on Halloween next Saturday. And he has been doing this falling into fall segment with us, which I'm so appreciative with the partnership of the Georgia Forestry Commission and really giving you Autumn Leaf Watch, really good updated reports on where in Northeast Georgia and northwest georgia is best to see that leaf color and we may have already reached the prime time for the north georgia mountains but slowly creeping down here into metro atlanta this may be the best time the peak the best we're going to have it right now in metro atlanta so seth will be along with an update there in just a few minutes and some great calls already i'm ready to start taking those here very soon virginia and sandy springs is going to be up first a question about winterberry hollies my goodness if you've never seen a winterberry holly you're in for a treat if you google that and look that up gerald and cascade overwintering mandevilla I'm so glad that Gerald's starting to think about that because we want to know when we're going to try to avoid that first frost and what time of year that freeze is going to happen. So that's something to be thinking about. And Tom and Monticello, mums are dull and dying out. That's a plant right now that should be thriving. Those mums should be doing really well. So we'll get to the bottom of what's going on with the mums in Tom's yard. And your questions, 404 Eight seven two zero seven fifty here on Green and Growing, and also coming up at seven o'clock, going to be talking to the spokesperson for the Georgia Department of Transportation and why you're going to be interested in that. Natalie Dale's going to join me for a quick conversation.
at 7 o'clock. And then throughout the show, we'll be talking more about pansy care. I'm so glad Walter came on and shared his knowledge. You, too, can be successful growing pansies in the yard, something very easy and timely for this part of the year. We're going to take a break and check traffic and weather, and we'll be back on 95.5 WSB. Scott Slade here on your WSB Weekend. Enjoy green and growing with Ashley Frasca and Dave Baker's Home Fix-It this morning on 95.5 WSB. The WSB News team, meteorologist Kirk Mellish and I, will be here Monday morning with Atlanta's Morning News. Here's Ashley. Yeah, I'm a turner. I pages all the time. And you know what else is turning? The leaf color. The leaf change. See what I did there, Jason? That's a great song, Miranda Lambert. Thank you so much. 6.53 here on Green and Growing. A quick weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. Today, scattered thunder showers. It's going to be mostly to partly cloudy. High in the mid-70s. Lows only down to 62. And tomorrow, the rain chance diminishes to 30% chance of a stray shower. Again, a high of 76. Lows in the low 60s. So, yes, this time every Saturday in the month of October, I have been joined by Seth Hawkins from the Georgia Forestry Commission. Good morning, Seth. Hey, Ashley. How are you this morning? Hey, you are four for four. I am so glad that you have been on the show and joined me this month. I really love this topic, and I hope it's something we can continue to do every year of the show. You've been so amazing in sharing with us some of the best fall leaf color and where in our area we're going to be able to see that. So we kind of break it up into northwest Georgia and northeast Georgia, right, as far as forestry is concerned? Well, yeah, and the only reason we talk about them in two different sections is really just due to the elevation change. There's just a little more elevation in the northeast mountains. So usually the leaf color is a little further ahead in the northeast part of the state. But, you know, the species changing are all kind of on par in both sections of the state right now. Um, the hickories and the poplars are really coming in with all their bright yellows. The sour sourwood, the black gum, the maples, they're all, you know, adding to and maintaining their reds and, and the maples with their oranges and yellows. Um, we're, we're having some leaf drop from the early turners, like dogwoods and stuff, but mm-hmm. that's quickly being filled in, again, by those hickories, poplars, maples, sourwood. The sassafras is showing all of its colors off right, right now, so it's looking great up there. So sassafras is kind of reds and oranges, right? Yes, sassafras will have the reds, oranges, yellows. It's got the full spectrum on it. When it's fully showing, it's uh, it's pretty special. Beautiful. And now closer to Metro Atlanta here, I have noticed, I don't know if it's just because of my conversations with you, more dogwoods, just that deep kind of burgundy color. And I just never really realized or gave them enough credit of how colorful dogwoods could be. Yeah, yeah. And they're definitely coming. Um, I live over in Athens. The, the dogwoods are coming along here, too, especially in our low, you know, down here in the lower elevation. So we're going to be a little behind. We won't get as vivid of a show, but um, we'll still get a color show in the next couple of weeks. Okay. And when we're talking about, you know, just if you were to look out over a grand view in some of the mountains in uh, North Georgia, you talk about like the estimated percentage of color change, right? So how many of the trees we see and then what that color is filled in. So what are we looking at as far as like the color change right now, as it were, at the beginning of the month from green to now different colors? Yeah, yeah. So um, in the northwest part of the state, um, we're looking at about probably 30 to 50 percent color change at the higher elevations. Um, in the northeast, we're actually over 50 and probably looking more at about 70 or 80 percent color change, again, in those higher elevations, indicating that the next week or two, we're going to be at full color peak in those higher elevations. Mm. So this next week, first week of November, as you move down the mountain, you know, probably maybe the first and second week of November and maybe 1,000 to 2,000 foot elevation range. 
Um, but yeah, so we're almost there. We've surpassed fifty percent, and especially that northeast, we're almost there to peak. So that's beautiful for anybody who just wants to kind of get out of Metro Atlanta this weekend. And when we're talking about the elevations and difference differences there, like you just said, two thousand to about twenty five hundred feet. Here in Metro Atlanta, we're around a thousand, just a little over a thousand feet above sea level. So when do you expect that to slowly spread to Atlanta? Do we still have a couple more weeks to wait? Yeah, I would say, you know, moving into the end of the first week of November, second week of November, we'll start to really notice the color down at our elevation. Um, So really by mid-November, you should look for the peak in your backyard if you live in the metro area. And what's going to affect that that peak? You know, is it going to be just the the temperatures continuing to get a little cooler or some rain factors in? What, What really determines that? Um, it's really just driven by, you know, those, that reduction in daylight hours so that the days are getting shorter, um, especially when, you know, uh, daylight savings, at least relative to us, it's going to seem a lot shorter. Um, yeah. Because daylight hours are going to go down, that's going to drive that. And also, just as those temperatures drop, um, you just get that excess sugar buildup stuck in the leaf, and that's going to drive that color change. Seth, thank you so much for the great information. I'm glad to have you back, and we'll definitely talk to you again next Saturday. Hey, well, thanks for having us, Ashley. So glad you take care, Seth. And just as a reminder, I believe daylight savings time, daylight saving with no S, daylight saving time, Sunday, November 1st. That sounds about right. So we got to get ready for that. We're all making faces. Ugh. All right, coming up on 7 o'clock, we're going to take a break, check news, weather, and traffic, and then back to hour number two of Green and Growing here on WSB. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.